ceremonies are uh, tradition uh, after the Vasa where the uh, lay people uh, come and offer requisites uh, to the Sangha that spent the Vasa together three months from the full moon of July to the full moon of October and so then this is the Katina season is the month following the full moon of October to the full moon of November. And being uh, alms mendicants, uh, this uh, one who depends upon the kindness of others, a uh, Katina ceremony is offering of alms requisites uh, to the uh, Samana Sangha. And so this alms mendicancy is quite a interesting phenomena uh, at a time that is uh, age where everything's very materialistic and punctuated on uh, with security and and uh, guarantees uh, of the society uh, based on regulations and laws and principles where. The life of a summer is based merely on the assumption of the good-heartedness good of humanity. So, samanas, bhikkhus, uh, siladharas, uh, after their life is an act of faith. It's a way of living uh, through trust and faith in ultimate, in the Dhamma, in the ultimate truth, in the goodness in the in the honesty and the, the the generosity the kindness uh, that is part of our human nature and that is very much uh, um, the universe that we experience when we trust it but when we don't trust the universe when we get caught in our own 
desires to control, manipulate uh, selfish intentions or just uh, full of uh, kind of divis- divisiveness of li- liking this group and not liking that group, prejudices, biases, uh, racial divisions, ethnic biases, uh, gender prejudices and all the rest then of course we create endless conflicts, wars are the result of that. And so you can see this century, uh, 20th century has been a very divisive time in so many ways where the, uh, the, the nastiness of humanity has seemed to, to prevail in so many cases. The two horrendous world wars, Cold War, and uh, numerous other wars uh, based on political opinions, on ethnic prejudices, and you name it. There's something always to fight about. Some, there's always some reason to hate some other somebody or some group. So, it's interesting at a time where the world's population is as it at its most since uh, recorded history of humanity on this planet. There's never been a known time where there's been so many human beings living at one time. 5.5 billion human beings. They say the, the kind of general population uh, statistic of the of the present time and yet uh, though we are managed to procreate quite regularly and increase uh, the population but how to uh, how to develop this mass of humanity and this is a challenge of the next millennium isn't it how to develop the human heart so that that its goodness uh, its purity is it manifests into the world rather than our defilements, our kilases, our our uh, hatreds and delusions. You can even see, even we can create uh, altruistic ideals uh, in with our minds, thinking of the, the the ultimate in terms of what the best political system should be or the best relationship, and yet uh, I- we can we can imagine and create these kind of superlatives with our brains. But on the heart level, we're caught in a conditioned way of, of fears and desires and, and uh, shocks and emotional blocks and so forth that keep us bound to uh, reactivity that can be very cruel, very selfish, very mean and malicious, very narrow-minded. So in the name of democracy or communism or equality and freedom and, and all the these high, high-minded uh, ideals that we create, we can, we can commit the most atrocious acts, justify them in the name of, uh, 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 saying the, the ideal, uh, we have to get rid of these bad influences to in order to uh, create this uh, or move toward this ideal state. The Buddha emphasized the law of karma as a something too 
to really uh, contemplate and understand because it's based on the uh, cause and effect experience. If you do something good, you get a good result. Good. Uh, if you do this, then you, then the result will be that way. If it, if you do something bad, then the result will be bad. Do good, receive good. Do bad, receive bad. Very simple. The law of karma. <coughs> and yet, they, so many of our ideal systems are ba not based on the law of karma, but on the idea that it's all right to do bad things for a good cause. <laughs> it's all right to to kill off bad people uh, for the sake of protecting the good of the, the good of the society and the capital punishment and one thing or or these kind of genocide tendencies or killing off your political enemies or or cheating or corruption or telling lies or anything is all right if it's for a good cause is uh, the kind of attitude of the present age it's uh, if we, we want to you know help people uh, have better have equal, equal you know a fair economic political system social system uh, the the ideals that nobody's going to squabble about right now to be politically correct is a kind of universal pressure to say things always in the right way not to offend anybody because everybody is equal and everybody should be respected and uh, everybody uh, you know is important equally important and yet on the level of emotional experience or methods and attitudes that we hold and expressions and and the activities and the systems that we actually uh, generate uh, come from oftentimes based on it's all right to take advantage of this group or to to persecute that group or to uh, ignore this one or kill off that one or whatever, tell lies or cheat or cor be corrupt or whatever because it's all done uh, for the sake in the long run to have this uh, society where everybody's equal, everybody's free, everything's fair. Because the intellectual mind can play games like that. You can almost justify any act, anything you want to do, right with your rational mind. Genocide, uh, all this it can be justified uh, through rational, uh, through, through rationalizing it. Uh, so, uh, we, when we just get caught in our own thoughts and, and our own uh, intellectual positions and our own attachments, then uh, we can, you know, I think very few people are deliberately evil, you know, really loving, you know, to do evil and malicious acts, loving to torture and, and lie and cheat and, and murder people and, and that because they, they just really love being evil and, and nasty. Uh, I think there's very few uh, beings of, of that nature, that extreme. But there are plenty of human beings who are quite willing to do those acts because uh, they think that they have to or that that's what 
you can't you've got to survive you've got to be practical or or they they can rationalize and justify so the samana sangha then is a uh, you know the, the traditional samana sangha represented by the the bhikkhus bhikkhunis the committed members uh, the shaven head, the saffron robes. Uh, th- this is an ancient uh, kind of archetype of the human being that that has complete trust in God or in the ultimate reality or in the ultimate goodness. So much so that they're willing to to let go of all worldly attachments, securities, and that for because of that that complete and, and utter trust. Which oftentimes to a worldly person sounds very foolish. It's not practical. It sounds be like you're being irresponsible. You're, you're not you know, you're not you're not facing up to the modern time, to your responsibilities, to the way things are in uh, this society and even the language gets very caught up in that you've got to be practical now and you just can't you know live your life uh, in, you know it's rather nice and certainly uh, I admire your kind of good intentions but you must face the reality <laughs> so you've all heard that one <laughs> And so the, the rational mind oftentimes does uh, think we're we're rather foolish uh, people. But it is a statement too. Uh, I, I always appreciate the form, the the appearance of the samana, the shaven head, the the sa- the robe, the saffron robe, and that because. Uh, because it is a kind of timeless image. It's not. A, it's not. A, you know. It's a. It's not a, a. It's something that goes through time. It's not a fashion that that changes uh, with with different. You know. Uh, periods of time or different cultures or civilizations usually. There's a certain common identity among all Buddhist uh, samanas, Mahayana or or Theravada or whatever. There's a certain the most of them manage to keep uh, uh, a certain semblance of the robe and the shaven head. You know, Mahayana, their their chivar is a little bib now. You know. They wear a little little bib, looks like a with a Achivara, um, and uh, we could, you know, make moral judgments about that. But, but at least they've got that much going, and uh, and there is a recognizable form there and a recognizable color. But the the main thing is is that it's a symbol, uh, and that and that symbols have power over consciousness. You know, they do affect us in and when we see just on the visual level they look at a Buddhist monk 
there's something, there's an impact there, something uh, touches us in some way. Either we, we're startled, if you don't know what it is, you think, what's that? And we get that here in, in uh, Europe, you know, you go, what's that? Hmm? Or they think we're Hare Krishna, or they think, you know, we're, we're skinheads, or or idiots or whatever, other people suddenly realize, you know, they, they, some people connect almost immediately, even though they might have never, they may never have seen one before, seen a, a samana, Buddhist samana. But I think it's a visual impression that's worth uh, keeping uh, at a time where fashion is very much uh, in the you know an obsessive uh, thing uh, uh, condition in the society and where where how you look and 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 that is uh, is uh, is you know so important what you wear So at a time where, you know, from the time of the Lord Buddha in India, 2,500 years ago, to, to this, to, to, to uh, the turn of the century, uh, into the 21st century, then uh, the, the um, Sangha has managed to sustain itself. It may have survived through the rise Risings and fallings of how many civilizations, kingdoms, emperors, tyrants, political systems, good and bad, um, through all kinds of persecutions, mm. so forth, and yet somehow uh, this this particular convention, because of its power, powerful convention that the Buddha established, is uh, still has it, it still has its momentum still works. It's not just an antique for the British Museum. Even though you go in the British Museum, they, they like to have old Buddha Rupas sitting there as, uh, as kind of museum pieces. But this is for contemplation, is the, is the learning how to to understand, you know, what what the holy life really is as experience. And after over thirty years as a Buddhist monk, you know, the the, the kind of faith, uh, this uh, sense of sadha is is very powerful in me. It's like a very, it's you know, it's not, uh, it, it's very uh, kind of stable and very strong where in the beginning when I first became a monk I, w I had enough kind of sadha or faith to kind of make the leap like shave my head and become a samanera the first year uh, and uh, I had enough faith and interest to to do go that far but the, the, the faith wasn't all that strong it could have easily uh, you know, could have, uh, if things hadn't gone so well, have given up. So that the, the, and over the years, through the practice of meditation, 
taking the, the Buddhist teaching and, and really applying that to experience. Not just uh, acquiring knowledge about Buddhism and, and believing in Buddhism and, and becoming a Buddhist, but it's actually taking this, the teaching and, and, and using it for uh, exp uh, investigating experience. For example, the Four Noble Truths is, is an invitation to investigate, to examine suffering. So you, you, you know, and you're you're not looking at suffering as some abstract uh, kind of misery, but you're you're looking at the suffering that you have here and now, just being a human being, being the personality that, uh, and the. And the frustrations and irritations that come in monastic life. The monasteries you're living with, the monks and the lay people and the weather and, the, and all the rest, the conditions that you're living in uh, and your own ways of reacting or, or grasping those conditions that you create suffering. So you can apply this, this teaching to the experience of life as we live within this within the monastic form. Now one thing about monastic life I found, like in Thailand for example, the, the uh, you know, when I, uh, the forest monasteries that I lived in, you know, I, I really saw uh, very clearly that I created the suffering, became apparent quite early in my monastic life that actually the situations were quite all, were quite good. You know, very good people. Uh, the teacher, like Lumpa Chao, was a really wise, uh, enlightened human being. Uh, you had uh, people, good people, trying to encourage. You had the whole thing, the whole setup around the lifestyle was very, uh, very based on kindness and generosity and morality. So. I thought, you know, you can't really get much better than this in terms of an external environment, in terms of a social environment or, or a group to live with. And then, but still I suffered a lot because of personality conflicts, of my own uh, karmic tendencies and, and misunderstandings and, and uh, the endless problems and issues I'd create around monastic life or personal conflicts or views that I held or my own conceits. But through contemplating the Four Noble Truths, the suffering and the causes of suffering, it became apparent to me, very clear, uh, that I was, I was the creator of this misery. Because I really couldn't make a good case for the suffering, uh, being caused suffering from an external source. Uh, even like the mosquitoes. After all, I thought it wasn't, I, at first I thought the mosquitoes were making me suffer. And then I began to realize, no, I was creating suffering about the mosquitoes. Because mosquitoes, they live on this planet just like I do. They, they, they're hungry. They want to live. They like my blood. They want. <laughs> they're just trying to survive, just like I'm trying to survive. So, 
you know, and who am I to say they have no right to exist? They're here. They're part of life. They are what they are. Don't like them. They're not, in, you know, really happy when mosquitoes come around. And I, I'm not, you know, I w would certainly wish they'd stay away or go away. Or I, if they all disappeared from the planet, I wouldn't shed one tear. But in terms of creating suffering around mosquitoes, I realized I, I was the one that was my aversion, my anger, uh, annoyance that I created in my mind around the existence of those insects. That was the suffering. I created that suffering. Where the, 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 the unaware person thinks the mosquitoes are making me suffer. Well, apply that to to personality conflicts, you know, we think this person, this person I don't get along with, he's making me suffer because he s talks badly about me or doesn't like me or or uh, does something against me. Or am I creating suffering around what that person does? You know, so suddenly you're lo you're looking directly at the the suffering and the causes the three kinds of desire, the attachment to that desire. And then from that insight you, you let go of the causes of suffering and realize cessation of suffering. So mosquitoes still annoy, they are what they are, but you're not creating suffering on top of the existing condition of the biting and itching and even if one happens to get malaria. Does the malaria can make me suffer? Do I create suffering about having malaria? So these are a way of changing. You know, this is a, a reflective way of thinking. Or in the worldly way is to blame somebody. These people are to blame for our problems our economic problems, our social problems. Uh, it's I, we can blame women or men. We can blame uh, races of people. We can blame uh, ethnic groups, minority groups, religious groups, or just people that, that uh, uh, look different, or people that look the same. You know, he's, uh, you know, there's always uh, somebody that, uh, something to blame. So this blaming uh, and this complaining, this uh, desire to get rid of, uh, to annihilate the things that annoy, the things that are bad, the things you don't like, the, the enemy or the get rid of or run away from, then this, this is the suffering we create. And we begin to recognize this, know this. Now this kind of knowing is, is a universal intelligence. It's not a personal thing anymore. It's how you tune in, how you connect to a universal reality rather than just operate from the conditioning of your mind, of your emotions. 
the life of a samana then is, uh, as you live it, and becomes a quite a joyful experience because it is filled with gratitude, and uh, one one develops an enormous uh, sense of gratitude to the for the uh, support and all the opportunities that one has uh, to live this life because we do depend on the the goodness of others on their good-heartedness on their respect on their caring for the basic requisites for survival as a human being like food and and robe shelter medicine And we, we deliberately choose, we ask to be ordained, we ask to enter this order, so that it, you know, it's not a, it doesn't work if we're forced to become monks or nuns. It should never be forced on anybody, but, but it has to be, you have to almost beg to, to enter the order. You know, like crawl on your hands and knees and please, please accept me. Some people think they're doing us a favor I want to become uh, a bhikkhu or a theodarajan sameto. You lucky man, you getting me? <laughs> but the uh, the uh, the life is uh, it, it it they it is one feels protected and this is a subjective impression I have so tomorrow uh, we're going to have this blessing of the Devadas where Kun Pang has, has painted these magnificent uh, Devas Devadas for the entrance they're like guardian Devadas and they're uh, they're done in the traditional uh, Thai kind of classic uh, mural style that uh, Kung Pang is very expert at in uh, it's got a very classical art form from Thailand mural painting now these Devadas that represents the goodness of the universe all that is beautiful good benevolent protective kind uh, generous virtuous Beautiful, and uh, these so like these are protective deities. Now, some of you probably don't wonder about whether there are such things, in terms of you know I've never seen one, uh, you know, except on a painting. Uh, how do we know that they're really there? But uh, it's not a matter of, of uh, uh, you know, that kind of attitude usually prevents you from, uh, from uh, <laughs> recognizing the actual goodness that surrounds one. When you're always, uh, so we're, we're, we're culturally conditioned to be very critical, you know, say, I don't like this and it shouldn't be like that and, and uh, I don't quite like this or it's too big or it's too small or, or we're very... You know our education and the the modern materialism and the whole 
way of thinking of the present age is discriminatory. Isn't it? This is better than that. It's based on, on comparing one thing with another uh, and preferring one thing over another. Uh, but the, so that the in the religious path we're developing this intuitive awareness rather than just uh, the discriminative faculties highly developed usually in most of us uh, it's overdevelopment you're stuck in our critical minds so the intuitive awareness is like the meta practices open the heart the heart level the emotional level not uh not getting caught in emotional indulgences, but in that level of feeling, of intuition, of of uh, what we call the the heart experience of life, where we feel things, where we're aware. There's an awareness, that an openness, a receptivity of the mind and the heart to the present, where the goodness that's around one is 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 intuited. It's realized through an intuition rather than through an idea or a concept or an apparition. So Devadas angels you can call them angels. Uh, they're expressions of light and of beauty. And uh, I feel, you know, when I reflect over the many years of my monastic life, I've, I felt almost right from the beginning, as soon as I put on the robe, a kind of protection, a strange sense of, uh, before, as they say, before I ordained, I was uh, I was a graduate student at University of California. Life was getting increasingly more problematic for me uh, when I was a graduate student, and uh, I was getting really kind of you know burnt out and stressed out. And then uh, then I went into the Peace Corps. And uh, went off to live in in Saba, North Borneo. And and that was very an idyllic place. You know, that was a beautiful kind of tropical paradise. But my mind was so stressed out that I'd create endless problems and misery. And and you know, in a situation that really was was extraordinarily pleasant. And nothing seemed to work go right for me. I was just always things seemed to be falling apart or you know I'd miss the train or miss the boat or miss the plane or wasn't around when the goodies were being passed out or <laughs> missed the point <laughs> I thought life is you know 30 years old life is getting uh, you know, it's, it's getting incredible. You know, it's getting worse and worse for me. And then um, it seemed like, as soon as I became a monk, then suddenly it all started changing. 
and things like doors open, things started happening, all kinds of miracles started happening around me. Where are these coming from? These never happened to me before. <laughs> this is my own uh, subjective uh, interpretation. But it, no, it did seem like once I'd made a kind of commitment and, uh, and, and really put some measure of trust into the goodness uh, and, the, and the beauty of, of, of what I was intending and, and, and moving into, uh, then all kinds of uh, uh, wonderful things seemed to, to naturally occur. It was surprising. It wasn't like I was expecting or demanding anything at all. Like this very temple is 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 from that. It's kind of it's just happened, and that it's uh, uh, the the Amravati temple. It just it seemed to happen, and it uh, it wasn't uh, you know the the conditions for it to happen arose. It wasn't like I had to kind of really run around trying to. To, to do anything, it just seemed it became apparent that this was was uh, what should be done, and so it you know it it, it caused you know very few problems. Uh, I mean, some people create problems around this temple still, but <laughs> but they, but actually, in in terms of. Um, my own experience, it, it, and and that it, it just seemed to to have to have come up and been built, and with the with the interest and the care and the generosity of many of you, both the, the monastic sangha and the, the lay communities. So it's a kind of miracle in itself, the temple itself, the building. And we can just say, well, it's just mortar and bricks and tiles and things. But uh, you know, not to to uh, to think that that a temple is the is the ultimate achievement, because the ultimate achievement is the realization of the Dhamma. But this is, but the so that the the aim for all of us is that realization of the truth of Dhamma here and now. But these are the, like the things that happen, like the devadas come and the various good forces hover around and and all kinds of things seem to, to uh, um, want to support, want to help us, want to encourage us in our spiritual practice. At least this is how I feel. I feel very... Yeah, here in England, for example, a non-Buddhist country, and yet I felt very supported by th this country itself, by the fact that it's been so easy to live here. There's been so, so much tolerance and caring going on in this country towards, towards us, towards me. So, this uh, this also is uh, you know something that that uh, I wasn't expecting. You know, in Thailand, 
you could take it for granted because it's easy to take a country like Thailand for granted because everybody's a Buddhist. <laughs> so you think, you know, they, they know and they care because they're Buddhist. One wouldn't have expected so much from, from uh, uh, a non-Buddhist country. But goodness is a universal, isn't it? It's not, it's not Buddhist per se. Goodness doesn't belong to, to Buddhism and doesn't, isn't a part of anything else. So we're touching into universals, into, into the heart of humanity, into human beings, uh, uh, touching that goodness, that beauty that we all have and we all long for and we all uh, feel... Uh, when we when it when it is when we're allowed to feel that we feel so joyful and so grateful for that. When we're caught in the uh, gloom doom momentum of the pre of the news of the mass media, it it all seems so hopeless. You know, there's an endless kind of crises in uh, of the world, the wars and the corruption and all the rest the meanness, the maliciousness, the nastiness of humanity is what makes the news. But in terms of experience, as a, as a samana, as a Buddhist monk, I'm, I must admit that the, the really nasty stuff of the world has, uh, has been minimal in my experience. Uh, and mainly there's been this incredible kind of support Goodness, goodwill, kindness, encouragement uh, towards uh, everybody wanting me to be enlightened. When I contemplate in this way, then I do feel, a, you know, a, a real joy in the practice because to, to feel that, um, that trust that people have in me and their, 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 their encouragement to so that, that I can live this life, uh, a meditative life. Learning how to live in this society, say in the position I'm in also. For example, in Thailand, for example, you, in the forest monasteries, you, you had a lot of this, what they call Gaia we wake, or you go off and you live uh, in, a, in a little hut and you have more, you can kind of separate yourself uh, from everything and have a physical solitude. Um, but I realized when I came to England, even though that was my intention to try to set up places where this would be possible within this uh, country, I realized I wasn't going to be able to get much of it myself because I was the, the kind of the focus, the, 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 the one that was uh, everybody was looking to. So, so it was a chitters. Uh, we moved to Chitters, and I realized I gave up on the idea of ever having Gaia we wake or going off alone into a cave and practicing 
uh, into Jitta Vivek. And that's why I called it Jitta Viveka, Jitters. Because I had this insight into Jitta Viveka. Or the solitude in, in, the, in the heart. And I re de developed that over the many years here in England, that sense of solitude within the cave is inside, not, I don't, it isn't an external cave. And it's interesting, the cave is, is one of the uh, images for enlightenment. But this is reflecting, you know, my uh, 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 how could I, you know, how, how can I uh, practice with these conditions that I'm experiencing? You know, rather than thinking, I have to have certain conditions to practice. I have to have these ideal conditions in order to really practice. I realized that, that that I tried before, and every time I'd hold on to the ideal conditions, I'd get, uh, I'd get this kind of terrible backlash. You know, the more I kind of held on to, you know, to trying to control everything for my own benefit, I, the result was somewhat usually some real big shock or disappointment. So, so then the citta viveka, and then the upati viveka, the 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 realization of non-attachment, the ultimate solitude. And the solitude isn't a solitude based on a me as a person being separate from anything, but it. The Ubhutivirega is like the the solitude of oneness, wholeness, yeah. complete integration rather than than uh, any any form of division or any sense of separateness. So the the Panya faculty or the wisdom thing is is what we use in this path how it's not it's not based on the ideal of having the best but how to use what we have how to use what the way we are the kind of characters we character tendencies the the kind of flaws in our character our our weaknesses our to learn to develop awareness use wisdom around the the seemingly impossibilities the the obstructions the seemingly hopelessness of of tendencies and uh, that one ha has or one seems to feel I, I used to feel some some of my character tendencies I felt were so obstructive I felt so obstructed by some of them in the past. You know, I used to wish, what did I do? Why did I have to be born like this? Why do I have to be like this? Why couldn't I be like somebody else? <laughs> or be somebody without these kind of particular difficulties or 
obsessive tendencies. Why do I have to be like this? And yet those very obsessions or weaknesses or flaws when approached through wisdom and seen in terms of uh, and Dhamma, then, then it's the, the, you're, you're, develop, you're using wisdom, uh, and 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 then the conditions of the present all lead to realization of truth. So you you get over this idea. You have to have special conditions all the time, or that the conditions that you you have right now are are uh, not good enough or not suitable because you begin to see through that whole way of thinking based on the personality view and the conditioning the emotional habits that one has the aim is toward ultimate simplicity towards the viveka towards the solitude that's inner stillness that is like universal. That is a true refuge, other than in uh, external conditions or even in mental, uh, benign and refined mental states. Uh, Upati Viveka is ultimate liberation. And the stillness, the universal, the unconditioned, rather than the than uh, refinement, refining conscious experience, or in uh, an an ideal, non uh, um, frustrating and irritating environment. So that Ubhuti allows us to not make problems or issues or create suffering around the conditions that we're experiencing, whether they're good or bad, refined or coarse, is no longer the important issue or the important thing in our lives. John, the Sunday, the Katina, it's like a, the really contemplate this as the kind of the lay community coming to offer robe material or a requisites. And think of the goodness of this act of the that this is what is the things like this that have allowed the Sangha to exist for two thousand five hundred years. Katina is like a symbol for that where it's uh, you know it's uh, like the offering of the raw material. It's 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 like the, the that which comes from the ancient time of the Lord Buddha. But it's still it's powerful it's uh, that powerful sense of, of offering requisites to the Sangha for to help us, to encourage us towards this ultimate realization, towards enlightenment. And so everybody that 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 offers, that joins in, that helps support this katina, you know, we can feel it's like they're 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 our family, they're people that love us, who want us to want the very best for all of us, which is enlightenment, be free from all delusions. There's no, no better wish than that. You can't 
you know, to, or nothing better than that in terms of a human experience. Be free, liberated from all delusions. Because we are, we, we, there's so many delusions and so many uh, conditions that we, that, you know, continually carry us away. And so it takes this a very strong kind of commitment and determination to plow through it, to keep going in spite of the apparent and seeming hopelessness and futility of 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 our our own emotional state or the conditions or the group we're living with. It, that's, uh, you have to have this, you know, really a, a very powerful aditana to carry you through some of the very uh, thorny patches of monastic life. It's a thorny path and it's a rocky road. <laughs> it is the ultimate obstacle course. <laughs> but it's how you develop wisdom, isn't it? Like, like this story somebody told me about uh, the, this, uh, you know, butterflies when they before they become butterflies, they're in their cocoons. You know, they're in this nice little uh, uh, silky cocoon, and and they kind of like in the womb, and they're growing, and then they they're trying to struggle to get out of this cocoon. You see, they're kind of this struggling to get out, and they're fighting against this cocoon and so somebody says, oh poor thing uh, poor little thing I'll just help it, so he strips off the cocoon the butterfly doesn't have enough strength to fly <laughs> so it just falls on the floor <laughs> so see <laughs> that if we <laughs> That that the struggles, the, the kind of in the 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 obstructions, the the struggling, the having to to keep going, in fear that is, is sometimes even though you you just want to give up, that kind of struggling, not just a willful struggle, but a a kind of sense of commitment then and strength that 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 gives you the patience to bear through pain and disappointment and despair. Difficult situation. That gives us a strength, that's very strengthening in the long run uh, to where the liberation is. Uh, we, we gain strength through our suffering. We learn through what makes us suffer There's a Latin Quae nocent docent. We learn through what makes us suffer. <laughs> so I offer this as a reflection for this evening. <laughs>